Hi, I'm James P. Friel. And I'm Dean Holland. It's time to fasten your seatbelts, boys and girls. That's right. If you're an entrepreneur who's wanting to take your business to the next level and have a bit of fun while getting cutting-edge advice on your business, marketing, and sales, welcome to Just the Tips, arguably the best podcast in the entire world. I guess that's good, right? Yeah, sounds good to me. All right. That was easy. That was the easiest thing we did all day. Yeah. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Just the Tips. This is your host, James P. Friel. Excited to be here with you guys today. I'm also excited that my co-host, even though he gives me shit on a very regular basis, is here with me, Mr. Dean Holland. How are you today? <laughs> I am amazing, James. How are you? Just as amazing. Much better now that we're together doing the show. Yes, I could sense a, a good feeling in you then that life hasn't been the same since you've not spoken to me. It's just been one sad tragedy. And right. now uh, now there's an uptick today because I get to do the show with you. Exactly. Um, I do know it's the highlight of your week. Not so much for me, but uh, it's, uh, you know, we have an all right time. You think? Uh, do you think our listeners can pick up on the sarcasm in my voice at this stage or, uh, or is it still, <laughs> still convincing? <laughs> I like to think it's convincing. <laughs> so do I. Uh, that's amazing. So, uh, Dean, as you know, today we have uh, we have a really uh, really unique guest who comes comes to us with a really cool background because uh, we have a lot of fun on the show. Obviously, um, with our one listener, your mom. Hi, mom. <laughs> and uh, you know, we have entrepreneurs on the show, people who are doing ninja things with marketing and. Um, from all different backgrounds and stuff like that. And one of the things that uh, really, really appealed to me in, in having this guest when I saw that we could get him on the show was that he is somebody who gives amazing advice to, uh, to entrepreneurs in terms of things related to internet laws and regulations and things. And the stuff that's, you know, quite frankly, maybe not always the sexy thing to talk about. Right. But if you find yourself facing fines and penalties and on the wrong side of that stuff, it could just super quickly deteriorate and erode what you've built, worked so hard to build. And so, uh, Richard uh, Richard Chapo, welcome to the show, my friend. It's great to have you here today. Ah, thank you for having me on. Appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you've got like some stuff that's hot off the press actually, like with some recent, at least for here in the US, with some recent rules and stuff that have come across through the Supreme Court. And I'm sure if you want to, we could get uh, we could get all hot and heavy and talk about GDPR, which would be super exciting for everybody, <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, before we get into any of that, what I've got to ask you is, um, you're, you call yourself an internet lawyer. Can you just kind of tell everybody a little bit about what, what does that mean? Um, well, you know, it's a good question because it's kind of evolved over the years. Um, essentially, the, when I first got into it in about uh, the year 2000, um, there was really kind of this internet, new internet commercial medium that was really exploding. Um, and so it was really any, any law that, that dealt with that. And as we've gone through the years, it's become more sophisticated and more complicated. And really, it's now it's just a catch-all phrase for anything that online retailers are dealing with. So it could be anything from privacy, such as with the GDPR, 
or um, you know, sales tax, which would be something we talked about today, copyright, any of these basic issues. So it's kind of a catch-all phrase. Um, most people actually in the legal field don't really use it, but but people who are actually working online, they will uh, tend to refer to us in that way when they're not cussing at us. Um, so it's uh, you know one of those kind of catch-all phrases like uh, you know soda or something of that sort. Well, uh, well, there you go. So, um, you know, like high level, we, you know, a lot of people listening uh, run businesses online uh, or at least have an online component to their business, which I think a lot of people do uh, today. What are what are some of the big things that you find people need to watch out for that are not typically on their radar? Um, you know, I think a lot of people don't, um, you know, they set up things online and they don't really think through kind of what they're doing from a legal perspective. One of the beauties of the internet, of course, is that it's worldwide. Uh, so you have large, you can have a large uh, audience for relative pittance of money, depending if you do SEO or whatever. Um, you know, but at the same time, one of the dangers of the internet is it is worldwide. Um, and so you will see people, you know, they go cross border with transactions and don't really think about it. Um, and there can be implications like that. So for instance, if you're in the U S and you sell, um, I don't know, some kind of product that is of interest to people in the, the UK, uh, you know, you're supposed to be reporting and paying, you know, VAT on that uh, value-added tax. And a lot of U.S. retailers don't. It's not because they're being devious or anything of that sort. They just don't know uh, or they don't realize. And, um, you know, unfortunately, the Internet, you know, around 2000, it was known as the wild, wild west. Um, unfortunately, governments have kind of clamped down on it. And now we have a concept called the splinter net, which is the Internet's really sort of being divided up into regions, either economically or legally. Um, and it's important to understand, you know, how those how those regions work, what the implications are, uh, you know, and what you have to do. And on a practical level, that gets down to things like, do you have to collect sales tax? Uh, what do you have to do for copyright? What do you have to do for um, before you can, you know, obtain information from people? Um, you know, the GDPR is kind of a subject that obviously has been hot in the news recently. Well, in the United States, privacy law from a commercial aspect it is a bit of a joke. Um, a company like Google or Facebook can sweep up all your information, monetize it, and sell it. Um, whereas in you know the EU, obviously with the new rules, that's much more difficult. Um, so if you're selling into the US and the EU at the same time, you know what are your obligations? How do you deal with those those situations? Um, unfortunately, the the days of just tossing up a website and selling and not worrying about any of the stuff is really kind of over. Um, for better or for worse, uh, governments are getting back into it and really marking their territory online. So, um, you know, even if you're, you know, regardless of where you are going and sitting down for an hour with an attorney, just to show them what you're doing, most attorneys are going to give you a free consult to show them what you're doing. Uh, and you can make sure, you know, you're not crossing any lines or potentially walking into, uh, you know, some kind of a serious problem. So I think, um, I think stories always make a big impact for people and like, we can hear all of that and we can say, okay, yeah, yeah, that's a really good idea. And I think it gets put in the, like, I know I'm supposed to do that bucket, mm -hmm. but I don't, um, until something bad happens. What's, what's, uh, what's a situation in which you've been involved in where somebody did put this off and something bad happened and like, what? What did that look like? Just to kind of paint a picture for us. Um, well, because of attorney-client privilege, I can't really discuss my clients, but I can give you ideas of, of what's happened. Um, so let's talk about it even on just a huge macro scale, a company like Apple. 
you would think Apple would know what they're doing and they're, you know, I'm sure they have a legal department that's a, you know, size of a small state. Um, you know, the EU is pursuing them now for um, back taxes. And what had happened was Apple, people had read the law and thought that they could form a business in Ireland under EU tax law and uh, that they could get tax advantages and they did. And so they didn't pay a certain amount of tax and it's, it's a large amount of money. I don't know what it is, $12 billion or something of this sort. And the EU was suing them, Ireland saying, well, no, we have this favored area here. And so Ireland's suing the EU, and it's all just a huge mess. On smaller levels, um, it could be situations like with the FTC is kind of a, a common problem. Um, you know, one of the – we're always looking at what are the most effective marketing methods. You know, early in the, the aughts, it was SEO. SEO was pretty easy. You could just, you know, build as many links as possible. Obviously, it's become much more sophisticated since then, so it's a little more tricky. So now a lot of people are looking at social influencers – um, you know, if you get somebody, you think of a big celebrity like Selena Gomez and these kinds of people. Well, the FTC requires that you have disclosures um, whenever you have any kind of uh, influencer marketing. And a lot of companies don't, they just don't understand, particularly smaller ones. They don't understand what that obligation is. Um, and so, you know, the FTC has actually been pretty decent about it. They've sent out quite a few warning letters. Um, and I've had clients get those warning letters. And that's kind of a big wake-up call. Um, unfortunately, in those situations, it's not a situation where you know actual fines are issued. Um, one of the things to understand about government regulatory actions is they're usually not covered by your insurance. So if you have liability insurance, that's usually an exclusion, which means that your insurance is useless in those situations. Um, and so for a lot of people, it can be <laughs> it can be a big hey, oh, you know, what am I going to do in this kind of a scenario? Um, so you see that with social, you see that with the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act also coming up now. It's federal law that has uh, been around since 1998. The FTC has never really enforced it. Basically what it says is you can only um, collect information from kids under 13 in the United States online if you have verified parental consent. Uh, and then there's a whole you know set of regulations as to how exactly you do that. And the FTC never really enforced it uh, until the last couple of years um, when we've had some you know major cases come up where you see you know, is Google collecting people's information, you know, kids' information when they do their education uh, app series? You know, what about Alexa? When Alexa's, you know, collecting that information, um, you know, in a house and there's kids under 13, do they have to comply? Do they not have to comply? Uh, and so I do get smaller companies that call me and they say, you know, we've never heard of the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act. I think, in fact, there's a TV show, Silicon Valley, I want to say. One of their whole episodes was an app that they've been developing forever, and suddenly they find out that they have to comply with this law. They haven't complied with it, and they've you know collected all this information. That's panic city, um, <laughs> because the fines can be you know really substantial in those cases. Um, so it kind of just depends on you know the particular nature of your business and what you're doing. Um, but it, you know you need to at least have a general idea of what the standards are and try to comply with them as much as possible. Um, you know, I'd love to believe in a perfect world everybody would comply with every law and regulation um, perfectly, but that's just not going to happen. Um, so the reality of it is, you know, try to make yourself less of a target compared to bigger, bigger companies. So, so one of the things that I feel like um, can, is a high likelihood of happening in this space are people who think they're too small for having to worry about any of this stuff. Mm. Is there? I, um, and I know, strictly speaking, there may or may there may be, or may not be a different answer to this. But in practicality, is there like when do you need to start worrying and thinking about this stuff? Well, you need to start worrying and thinking about it as soon as 
possible. The problem that you run into is isn't so much how big you are, it's do you grow? Uh, and then looking back in time. So the fact that you, you know, violated one of these laws and regulations for five years, you know, because you were small and then suddenly in the sixth year you grew and you start trying to get into compliance. Well, if the FTC looks at you, they're not just looking at you at the sixth year, they're looking at you all the way back. And if you don't have, um, you know, the proper documentation and things of that sort, you know, you're in trouble. Um, now showing that you're trying to get into compliance can certainly help. Um, you know, the reality of it is, um, you know, as an attorney, as any attorney is going to say, well, you should do this right away. And it's just like forming an LLC and getting insurance and all these things. When should you do it? You know, as an attorney, I'm going to tell you, you should do it right at the beginning. You know, do you have the money to do that? Is that, is that part of your budget? Um, you know, for a lot of people, you know, honestly, the more effective approach is start a site and see if it works. Uh, whether that's affiliate marketing, whether it's, you know, your own products, whatever it is, uh, you know, and then try to comply with it. The chances of you getting popped if you're a tiny site, you know, just beginning, I mean, honestly, it's pretty remote. Uh, particularly in the U.S., the FTC is looking for um, what I call name cases, um, you know, companies that people are going to recognize and they're going to serve as an example. I'll give you an example, um, the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act I just mentioned. Um, you know, they went after Yelp. And Yelp, I mean, when you think about Yelp, you don't really think about it as a site directed at kids under 13. But Yelp had an app, uh, and you could log in, and it had one of those little check the box that you see all the time. And it'll say, you know, check the box indicating you're over 13 years of age. That's why that you see that on sites. They're trying to comply with that law. And they had a software problem so that even if somebody didn't check the box, it would still let them in. So it was letting 12 years old, you know, people in, 11 year old people in, things of that sort. It, it was a software error. There was no intentional conduct, no devious conduct, nothing of that sort. And the FTC fined them $400,000. And the reason they did that is because it's Yelp. <laughs> it's, and right. so there would be press releases and we would all see, ooh, Yelp got popped. And so then all these other you know, sites, it would kind of act as you know, a, a trigger for other sites to recognize that there's a law and hopefully they would get in compliance with it, which mm. didn't happen. But um, So that's what you tend to see with the FTC. Can the FTC come after a tiny little company? Absolutely. And they have uh, in the past. A lot of it also comes down to the number of complaints they get about somebody. If you're selling a weight loss product and you're claiming somebody's going to lose 30 pounds in a week, um, you know, unless it's crystal meth, um, you know, <laughs> you've, you've probably got a problem. That's what Dean sells. <laughs> I'm sorry? You mean that's not okay? That's, that's actually what Dean sells. Right. Uh, so it's good that you're on here today, Richard. Well, <laughs> Well, with crystal meth, I think you can lose 30 pounds in a week, but yeah, there are going to be some other issues there. Uh, I'm clearly getting the wrong legal advice. I was told this was fine in the U.S. Yes, yes. <laughs> Depends what state. Albuquerque, you're probably good. Uh, but, uh, you know, but I mean, if you get those kinds of things and you will see, you know, situations, you know, where there's just obvious misrepresentations and it can be something simple. There was a case with casinos. Uh, some people had a casino site and they were doing videos online essentially promoting the casino, not directly as marketing, but more like, you know, you know, we have this effective marketing technique or this effective gambling technique. And this is the site we always use and it always pays out. And they didn't disclose that they own that site, which obviously makes a little bit of a difference in their credibility. And, uh, you know, they were essentially shut down. Um, and so, you know, it's those kinds of things you have to really kind of think about, you know, what are you doing? And again, that's why, you know, sitting down with an attorney, even just for an hour, even if they charge you, it's money well spent uh, and just say, hey, here's what I'm doing. Am I violating any laws? Are there any concerns? 
um, because you know people are frankly pretty creative and they come up with some some amazing ideas and you know you have to look around and think hmm does this violate some weird random securities law act or you know the telephone assistance act or something of that sort yeah so quick question just just to jump in james sorry because um i know probably a lot of our listeners are in the u.s um but take take me for example i'm in the uk um but we do a lot of transactions in the u.s uh where do where do the laws stand for somebody say like myself that's not a u.s citizen but does transact in the u.s would they still have to comply with like your u.s laws or would or no yes like how does that work Yes, the FTC and certainly even just private lawsuits here, yeah, they would take the view you have to comply because you're selling into the market. Um, right. If that wasn't the case, first thing that would happen is all U.S. companies would move to, um, you know, Vancouver, <laughs> yeah. Canada, or wherever, and you know, immediately. And frankly, you see that happen anyways. Um, you know, the, so if you're selling into the market. Uh, you know, generally you're going to have to comply with those laws and it works the other way for U.S. companies. If you're selling into Europe, you know, you have to comply with European law. Um, you know, would the EU come after you or the UK? Um, you know, if you're selling into the U.S., you'd have to talk to the UK attorney. I wouldn't think that they would, sure. you know, usually they just care about, you know, their consumer market. Um, you know, and one of the frustrations with that that's pretty consistent around the world is, you know, the agencies don't use a reasonable person standard, <laughs> Um, when evaluating whether a claim is false or misleading or something of that sort, they're supposed to. What they really use is a standard of, okay, you know, let's assume there's a person who can barely breathe on their own. Um, you know, would they understand this? It's usually a really low standard. Um, you know, the assumption that the consumer market is, you know, a gathering of idiots with credit cards. Um, and, you know, sometimes it's, it's difficult to deal with from a practical standpoint as a business person, you know, strangle some people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> A gathering of idiots with some credit cards. I think that's definitely got to be pulled out as a quote from this show. <laughs> yeah. well, it is, well, it is. So I'll give you an example. Um, you know, so the FTC wants disclosures when there's some kind of a, uh, a compensated relationship. So if, if you know, an affiliate program, I think we've all seen the treadmill sites. You know, there's 60 treadmill reviews on a site. All of them get five stars and they all, you know, go to Amazon or wherever. And obviously, they don't have any credibility. Somebody's just putting those up because they're trying to produce sales. And so the FTC wants to see a disclosure saying, you know, basically that these are affiliate sales and, you know, I'm being compensated for these, any of the sales. And therefore, you know, the review may not be that credible. Okay, that's fine. But they want to see them on like tweets. And, you know, before <laughs> when we had 140 characters, they still wanted to see them then. And it's, you know, and it's, you reach a certain point you know, where they just have no value. Um, you know, it's like the warning on the mattress, you know, every, all, every mattress has one. Nobody's ever read one. Um, <laughs> you know, and you see this in the UK where you're based in the UK with the cookie pop-ups on sites, you know, every, right. every site you go to, well, after this, after it happens three or four times, have you ever read one or do you just click it and get it off the screen so you can read whatever the hell you exactly. were going for? Um, you know, exactly. and that's a problem you're having with the GDPR too. You know, the consent mechanism, they want these consent pop-ups and they're just going to become, you know, superfluous after, you know, a couple of weeks because people are just going to you know, click whatever to get them out of the way. Um, and so it's governments that are applying regulatory answers to situations that would probably be better handled technically. And so the EU, I have a great hate for the EU. I just want to, you know, state my bias. Um, not the not people <laughs> in the EU, just the, the 
Dean in particular, yeah. like I just want to zero in on this. This feels like <laughs> the bureaucracy, not the uh, not the people. Um, hey, we've got, oh, we've got like one leg out of the EU right now. We're, we're clawing our way out piece by piece. <laughs> uh, good for you. Um, <laughs> right. But one thing that they did do, and I will give them credit. So they have this the cookie pop-up law, as I like to call it, uh, which is just useless. And um, they've acknowledged finally that it's useless. And so they're going to get rid of it. Instead, they're going to force browsers to um, go through the, the cookie acceptance process, which I'm sure will be a complete cluster, but um, at least we won't have these stupid pop-ups. But at the same time that they recognize that, they issue the GDPR with the consent pop-ups, which are going to have the same <laughs> problem. And it's like, you know, over here on this other regulation, you're admitting this doesn't work, but now we're going to force all these companies to do the same thing over here until a couple of years pass when we realize, oh, this doesn't work either. It's part of their, uh, it's part of their pop-up exchange it program. Is. Great yeah. one pop, uh, you know, <laughs> and I and I understand, you know, the GDPR. Even though I'm an attorney for the online businesses, I understand the idea that we should give people more control over their their privacy, and I agree with that. I don't have a huge problem with it, but the way they go about it, it's just like, has any of you ever actually been on a website? You know, it's it's just like, good lord, right. you know, it's just maddening. So, yeah. It's ridiculous. Um, so, so I want to talk about two topics uh, real quick. So we've, you know, you already mentioned GDPR. I want to kind of talk a little bit about that. Maybe you could give give people some tips on what they need to do if they haven't, um, you know, kind of put things in place already. But then, uh, but then I want to talk about this recent Supreme Court sales tax thing that just happened the other day. So maybe um, real quick, Richard, like for, from a GDPR perspective. What do uh, what do you know online businesses like uh, like most of our listeners have to have to be thinking about right now? Right. Um, so the GDPR is uh, ninety nine articles, one hundred seventy three recitals. Interpreting those articles, uh, it's about three or four hundred pages long. Um, so it's a little difficult to summarize. Um, but not not maybe just in one sentence. <laughs> you don't think that's doable? Uh, well, <laughs> uh, come on. Well, the one on sentence, <laughs> the one sentence would be run. Um, uh, basically basically what it is so in the eu um you know it's a large bureaucratic entity and so it's very difficult to get things issued and passed um so uh, the previous privacy regulation was issued in 1995 it was a directive not a regulation and the directive is more of a suggestion if you will to the member states um that they should you know follow a certain course of action and so all the member states did. And the problem that you had is you ended up with everybody having different rules and procedures, and it was just chaos. And so 20 years later, they, they tried to um, address this with the GDPR. The biggest difference for people that are listening, particularly in the U.S., is in the U.S., privacy is not actually written into the Constitution of the United States. It's, it's kind of this um, judicial-created right uh, and that gets into controversies over abortion and things like that. We don't even want to touch. Um, but it's it's not like a front and center right. In the EU, as part of the overall formation documents, privacy is a fundamental human right. It's, it's like the way we treat uh, free speech in the U.S. So it's just a very different valuation between the U.S. and the EU. Um, and so in the EU, there's, there's this emphasis to try to give people the right to control their information. And that's really what the GDPR is about. It's trying to give people the right to know what's being collected um, from them, how it's being used, and whether they want it to be used in that manner. Um, and so you'll see, uh, you know, the GDPR is just kind of a set of regulations of how you go about doing all of that. Very poorly written regulations and just baffling in some areas. Um, but that's kind of the general idea. The GDPR went into effect in May, uh, May 25th, if you haven't got into compliance yet. 
Obviously, that would probably be a good idea. Uh, do you have to comply? If you have an establishment in the EU, if you're located in the EU, then yes. If you're in the US, you often hear, if you collect one email address, you have to comply. And those people should be slapped upside the head because I don't know what they're talking about. Uh, instead, <laughs> you have to look at what's called Article 3, Subsection 2. It talks about selling, you know, providing uh, goods or services to people located in the EU, even if for free. And then there's an analysis that has to be done. Collecting one email address is not going to force you to comply with the GDPR. Um, but basically, you know, if you're providing goods and services, uh, you know, is your email list, are you making pitches in your, you know, to your email list? If you are, well, then you're, you're kind of making you know, an offering of goods and services. Um, so there's an analysis that has to be done there first. Always have it done because obviously if an attorney looks at it and says, well, you don't need to comply, you know, then ring the bell, happy hour time. Uh, you're going to save a lot of money and grief. Um, the secondary question is, do you sell enough into the EU to make compliance, you know, necessary? Is it, you know, if you have 10 sales into the EU every year, do you want to spend 10 grand getting into compliance? No, block the EU. <laughs> it's that simple. Um, you know, and it sounds like a crazy thing, but um, the concept's known as SplinterNet, and SplinterNet is here. SplinterNet just merely means that the the internet is being divided up over a variety of issues, usually economic and legal. Um, but that's where we're headed. And so, um, you know, if if the cost of compliance is vastly more than what you would make, um, you know, why are you complying? You know, just go ahead and block. Mm -hmm. And you saw when May twenty fifth hit, you saw huge entities block the EU. Um, you know, American newspapers blocked the EU. Uh, Dick Sporting Good, which is a big sports retailer in the U.S., blocked. Um, you know, a lot of companies are doing that, and you're going to see more of that. And not just with the EU, with other, you know, Asia's got some crazy things thereafter. Um, you know, and unfortunately, you know, it's kind of a, a dour thing to say about the Internet, but, you know, Utopia died. <laughs> and Utopia died because a lot of people who use the internet and get their, you know, they're watching cat videos instead of paying attention to what governments are doing. And, you know, so they're issuing rules and regulations and nobody's saying anything. And, uh, the internet's not mm -hmm. going to be, you know, this, this grand utopia that we all thought it would be. It's unfortunate. It's kind of discouraging. Uh, but as a business person, if you're running a site, you know, you need to have an understanding of what's happening and, you know, how to address that. Now, if you are selling significantly into the, the EU, uh, then obviously you need to get into compliance. And, um, you know, the good news is that uh, now that the deadline has passed, um, you know, we went through two months before that of pure panic by various companies trying to get into compliance. Um, but now, you know, most people have tools and uh, plugins and apps and things of that sort that will help you do that. Um, and you certainly want to do that. Uh, an app or, you know, some kind of a program that is being sold for forty nine ninety nine is not going to get you into compliance with the GDPR. <laughs> it just isn't. Um, you know, so you need to look around and make sure you have a, a good idea of what's going on. The other thing that we see out of the EU is, um, you know, you can register with a particular country um, to to have them act as your supervisor agency, which means basically if you get popped, um, you know, whoever's popping you has to go through that agency and work with them. You really want to do it with the ICO in the UK. Um, and the reason for that is that uh, they are aggressive with prosecutions, but they rarely issue fines. 
And um, so instead, they will usually typically give you guidelines they want to see changed with how you're collecting information, things of that sort. Um, but the important thing is, you know, I think they gave out fines. I think last year they had something like 18,000 investigations and they only issued fines in like 17 cases. Um, so that's, that's mm. you know, that's a group you want to do business with. Um, because I'll be honest with you, nearly everybody listening to this, even if you try to get into compliance with the GDPR, you're not going to. Um, because there are just certain areas of the GDPR that nobody understands, <laughs> including the people who drafted it. Yeah. They were, nice. No, literally, well they done, were asked questions. They, so, they, oh, we want to talk about a bad PR move. So um, the head of the, the group, I can't remember her name right now, she did a tour before the GDPR went into effect in the U.S. and made the mistake of inviting law firms to come ask questions. And the law firm started <laughs> asking questions, uh, and she couldn't answer them. And this is the person. This is the person <laughs> in charge awesome. of <laughs> drafting the regulation. These are literally the people who sat down and wrote the regulation. And if she can't answer them, how are we supposed to answer them? So, <laughs> right. yeah, as a lawyer, that's kind of wow. scary because you know you're trying to tell your client <laughs> how to stay out of trouble, and uh, you know, so yeah, most of us are just so uh, so so shifting gears real quick here, bringing things back to the U.S. Um, I know that very, very recently there was a Supreme Court ruling on sales tax and, of, for internet related purchases. Um, can you talk a little bit about that and what that means to all of our e commerce friends who are selling? So, uh, yeah, in the Supreme Court in a case, a case called South Dakota versus Wayfair, um, second week of June, they issued a ruling uh, on the sales tax issue. So, what had happened in the U.S. is um, the the question is whether states can collect um, sales tax from businesses located outside of the state who sell into the state. So if you think about, um, you know, if, if I don't know, a company was based in New York and they sold, you know, a product into California, do they have to collect sales tax on that and deposit it with California? And the leading case was from the 1970s, as you might think about the internet wasn't exactly a hot button topic in the 1970s uh the case involved catalog sales they used to have those big old sears catalogs and things that they would ship off to people and at that point the supreme court said no um they said that that basically there had to be a sufficient nexus it's called a nexus for um you know any sales tax requirements to exist now if we fast forward 40 years obviously the world has changed a bit uh, and the internet is kind of all encompassing. States are losing billions of dollars in taxes and blah, 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 blah. And so um, for some reason, it took forever for the Supreme Court to look at the issue again, but they finally did. And they basically reversed that decision from the 1970s. And they said it's antiquated. It doesn't really apply anymore because of the nature of the web. Um, so if you sell online into any particular state that requires sales tax to be collected, um, you now have a duty to do that. And so, it, and that includes all, you know, 50 states, which everyone's don't have sales tax. Um, however, you know, this has caused all kinds of panic. And again, people haven't actually read the decision. They're talking about things they don't really understand. The Supreme Court said that that, that ruling really only applies in a situation, or, or they found um, for that ruling only because the defendants were large companies who would not be um, unnecessarily burdened by complying with the law. So we're talking nest egg and Wayfair. These are large mm. companies that can do that. Although they didn't say it, the implication was uh, for smaller retails, you know, affiliate marketers, people are doing five grand a month or something of that sort um, that they would look negatively on any state trying to collect sales tax there. Now, 
you know, the Supreme Court is they're intellectually very sharp. Practically, this group is just brain dead. Um, they really needed to have said, you know, what that, where that cutoff is. So we don't know. So what's going to happen instead is you're going to see years and years of litigation. But what states are doing um, that, that may be helpful is they're setting minimum criteria. So South Dakota, one of the reasons they were able to prevail in the case was they didn't say if you have one sale into our state, um, you know, you have to collect and, and pay sales tax. Instead, if they said if you have more than $100,000 in sales or 200 separate transactions in a year, then you have to collect sales tax and pay it in. So for people who are listening, you know, if you're a smaller business online, a lot of us probably aren't going to have $100,000 in sales to South Dakota. Um, there's not that many people in South Dakota. Um, so, you know, in that sense, you wouldn't have to comply. Now, are other states going to do that? Well, I live in California, which is, you know, Taxifornia. So I'm sure that, you know, they'll set a threshold of one person or something like that. <laughs> and it'll be ludicrous. There will be more litigation on this, but it, it isn't a situation where you're necessarily going to have to pay in every state. Uh, if you're thinking, wow, that sounds complex. How am I going to figure this out? The answer is, I don't know. Um, CPAs life suddenly just got a lot more difficult. Um, my answer to most people is, I don't know, go talk to your CPA, um, you know, make them go figure it all out. Uh, the EU in this area did something brilliant um, with the VAT tax. Well, what they did was they said, because people were complaining about the same problem, you know, I have to pay all these taxes to each of the different member countries. It's just a nightmare. I spend more time doing that than I do business. And they created a one-stop one uh, shop. So basically in the EU, if you sell into the EU, you can just deposit everything at one with one entity and then they take care of it. The hope is the U.S. will do that. Uh, and that we'll see some kind of a federal government action uh, that will establish that kind of a procedure. However, if you've even remotely taken a look at Washington recently, you know, you know, them getting their act together and passing anything useful is kind of questionable um, and has been for the last 20 years. So um, the hope is that that'll happen. If not, that we'll see some kind of software application. Um, a lot of people are looking at Amazon because Amazon already forces a lot of their third-party sellers um, to to collect and pay sales tax. So there's a thought that Amazon may turn this into a profit center for itself. Um, they want to kick out some kind of a program, but nobody's really sure. It's you know, the decision, you know, as we're talking now, is only a week old. Um, but it, it it is a major change. Um, and you know, unless a lot of states set a minimum threshold that that people listening to can get under, um, you are going to have to pay at least some states uh, sales tax. So. Welcome to bookkeeping. And does this mostly have to do with uh, with physical products, or does this have to do with services as well? It's going to depend on each state. You know, most people think physical products, um, but you know, electronic products as well. An ebook. Um, you know, where are they going to draw the line? What about a membership to a website? Um, you know, historically it's been physical products, but um, you know, governments are waking up, and a lot of people don't realize. I think eight years ago. They, they were actually at a federal level talking about applying sales tax to even to services, which nobody really taxes services you know, from a sales tax perspective. And so we're just going to have to kind of wait and see, you know, what each state does. Again, some states are, you know, don't really look at sales tax as a major revenue um, source. Um, states like California, where I am, you know, they'll, they'll claw for every penny they can get from anywhere they can think of. Um, so, you know, it's, it's just going to depend. If that sounds chaotic, yes, it's going to be chaotic. 
Um, mm. But it, you know, it'll probably take a couple of months. When it comes to actually collecting taxes, um, the government, whether at the state level or the federal state level, or at the federal level, can be shockingly efficient at passing rules and regulations. Um, so we should see something pretty quickly. Now, if it was something they had to actually do that didn't bring in money, of course, it would take five years. Um, but yeah, that is what it is. Wow. Well, there you go. So still, uh, still somewhat complex and the dust hasn't settled off of that, but at least, uh, for, for those of you guys who are listening, um, a little bit of a uh, little bit of a heads up on what's coming down the pipeline. Been, uh, it's been really interesting. So, so Richard, if, um, you know, you, if people wanted to sort of run their specific, uh, scenario by you or have you take a look at what they're doing and make sure they're, they're covered, um, you know, do you offer those kind of consults or how do you, how do you guys work? Or do you have like a cheat sheet that helps people? What's the, what's the best way for people to sort of figure this stuff out? I do. Uh, lawyers are kind of an antiquated profession. We're licensed by state. So you want to talk to an internet lawyer in your state. Um, so if you're in California, you know, you can certainly contact me, just mention this show and I'll be happy to give you a free consult. Uh, or if you're located outside of the States, you know, I can do that. Um, if you're in another state, uh, you know, you can just do a search, um, on Google for an internet lawyers in your area, run them through Yelp and you, you should be able to tell who's good and who's not. Um, and, but most of them are going to you know, be happy to sit down with you and talk to you about, um, your business. And quite honestly, it's because most businesses have a problem somewhere, um, you know, that'll have to be addressed. Um, but yeah, I would definitely do it. It's money well spent. Um, even if, you know, you do that and you don't have any issues with your business, at least you'll be able to sleep at night knowing there aren't any you know, potential problems out there on the sales tax. Talk to your CPA. Again, this is really going to be something that they're going to have to deal with um, because they're going to have to handle the reporting. Um, so I would think that that's probably, you know, your best place to start. Awesome. And, uh, for those, for those of our listeners who are in California and eligible to talk with you directly, what's, uh, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Sure. You can find me at my site. It's SoCal, like Southern California, SoCalInternetLawyer.com. Uh, it was a very valuable domain when SEO had exact match keyword phrases, uh, that were valuable, but less so now. Um, or you can find me on LinkedIn all the time. Uh, it's Richard Chapo, C-H-A-P-O. I'm not related to the drug dealer in Mexico. Uh, <laughs> I was going to ask. Yes, no. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not so sure about that. You brought up the crystal meth earlier. I feel like right. you know, that was a little There's bit easy for references. you to say. Mm-hmm. I, always, exactly. I always told my dad we should go down to Tijuana. We could get free drinks, you know, El Chapo and the bars. But uh, he didn't think that was a good <laughs> idea. So, um. <laughs> Free drinks right before they cut off your hands. Yes, exactly. Yeah, Columbia <laughs> yeah. necktie or something. But uh, <laughs> yeah, yes. exactly. Well, uh, well, that's that's uh, that's awesome. So uh, so if you want to check out what Richard's up to and uh, if you're in California, go to SoCalInternetLawyer.com. Um, Richard, I, uh, appreciate you being here today, man. Um, you know, this, uh, like I said at the beginning, this isn't, this isn't necessarily the fun stuff like, you know, driving traffic or building funnels or any of that stuff that, uh, you know, that produces the revenue, but this is, this is protection and a way to protect, uh, protect your business and all the stuff that you're doing. So thank you for, uh, for all the wisdom and experience that you shared. Sure. Can I just say one, one final thing? Uh, I, Dean, should we let him say one final thing? Oh, it's got to be good. It's got to be good. Okay. Richard. Promise us it's good, Richard. It, it involves redheads. It, with all of this, <laughs> yeah, with all of this stuff, it can sound a little scary and what have you. Don't let this ever stop you from running a business online or trying anything. Um, you know, these are just to do items. Just look at them that way on your list. You know, I, as an attorney, I hate doing bookkeeping, but I do my own bookkeeping just because it's really simple. Uh, it's just something I have to, you know, to 
put on the list and check off every month. Um, so don't let any of this stuff scare you into not going into business online. That's not what any of this is really about. Um, if you just sit down and talk to somebody um, and and make even just a basic effort at compliance with these things, you're ahead of about 80% of the people online who don't do anything. Um, so, you know, again, don't, whenever you do a legal podcast, you know, there's always a certain fear factor that comes out of it. That's not really <laughs> the purpose of this. The purpose is just to let you know these things are out there uh, and that you should probably talk to somebody. And if you do, you know, they'll put in procedures and, you know, whatever it is that you need to get into compliance and you'll be fine. Um, so, so don't let this stop you, you know, from, from running business or trying out a new idea online or anything of that sort. And redhead. Okay. I'm done. You can't <laughs> handle the truth. <laughs> <laughs> no i oh, think that okay. was uh i think that was the the perfect way to kind of summarize that because i do think you're uh, absolutely right you know when you sort of sit back and listen to this it can be a very scary sort of topic and i think that's probably what why a lot of people don't bother with it because it maybe is so intimidating and potentially scary that people bury their heads and just hope for the best but like you say i think if people just take some steps and and look into it then at least they'll be uh making strides forwards which is great yeah well and i think i think the other thing that um you know should be understood here too is just because you're the one running the business doesn't mean that you have to be the expert on all this stuff right there's people like richard out there who know and who are experts in all this stuff and just like any other area of your business you know, right. i i think like a lot of entrepreneurs like oh man if i can't figure this out then i can't do it and that's that's really self-limiting. If you don't, if it's not your area, find somebody who's really good at it and ask them what they think. And, and then like, that's how the world works, right? People specialize in different things. And so, um, you know, I, I do appreciate you saying that at, at the end there, Richard, because, um, one there's no matter what you do, whether it's an online business, an offline business, working for somebody or any, anything, you're, there's always going to be problems. You're always going to encounter things that are going to be uh, challenges and there's going to be resistance no matter what you're engaged in. And the best way to overcome that is to find people who are experts in that particular area. And so while this may sound scary to you know, the average person like, like you and me, um, it's only because we don't know about it. And, uh, and that's why bringing on the right people to help advise you um, really takes the uh, the sting out of that because uh, that's that's what those people do. And so, just you know, if it sounds scary, don't worry about reading all the regulations yourself because that would be ridiculous. Work with people who already know what to advise you to do. Right, because you're going to find your comfort level. With my clients, I always say to them, you know, how comfortable are you with risk? And I have some clients that are not comfortable at all, and so we're extremely conservative in everything we do with them. And I have other clients that you know, risk is their middle name. Um, and you look at you know, Uber, one of the biggest issues with Uber when they started was, you know, are drivers independent contractors? Or are they employees? And I can guarantee you when they, before they started that company, they knew that was a big issue. Um, but they thought, eh, you know, <laughs> let's give it a try and see what right. happens. And, you know, and it yeah. is a huge issue and they're having all kinds of problems with it. But in the meantime, they've made massive amounts of money and you know and so for them that's just kind of a part of doing business so they were comfortable with that risk and if you're comfortable with risk you know then whoever you talk to as an attorney is gonna say okay well here's what i can you know arguably defend um or not defend 
And if you say, you know, I want to sleep all night, you know, every night peacefully and have no risk at all and say, okay, well, then, you know, here's the 85 pop-ups we're going to have on your site, you know, with disclaimers and disclosures and everything <laughs> else. And, you know, and that's the way you go about it. So, yeah, again, you know, it's just, it's just don't, don't listen to any of this and say, oh, well, you know, that idea I had, you know, now I'm not going to do it because that's, that's definitely not what I'm hoping to, to get across. Yeah. And from a risk perspective, Dean, uh, Dean is very comfortable with risk. He rides his unicycle on a six way motorway and he sells meth. in the UK. Yeah. Randy <laughs> sells, selling selling meth. Meth blindfolded. <laughs> blindfolded. <laughs> and that's why he's my co-host. He's a multi-talented individual um, with, with, with zero concern for risk right. and insane profit <laughs> margins. Yes. I'm wondering how the blindfolded meth dealer model is working out. That sounds slightly dangerous. (laughs) There we go. And just when you thought this was a sensible show, we end in crystal mess. Yes. (laughs) Well, he's the one who introduced it. It's not like we brought it up in the first place. Very true. Where every good legal conversation (laughs) should end. Absolutely. So uh, once again, thank you so much for uh, for being here today, Richard. Uh, We've appreciated having you. And thank you to all of our amazing listeners. We uh, we appreciate you guys. Make sure you're sharing uh, uh, the show with your friends and those you think could benefit from it. And we're going to wrap this one up today. This is James B. Friel signing off. For me and my co-host, Dean Holland, another episode, Just Tips. We'll talk to you guys soon. Later. Thanks for tuning in to Just the Tips, where we believe business should be profitable and fun. For show notes, links, and other information on our guests, visit justthetipshow.com. For more information on how to connect with Dean Holland, visit deanholland.com. And if you'd like to get free from the day-to-day operations of your business while making more money, visit me at jamespfreel.com forward slash autopilot. Our theme music is Happy Happy Game Show by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license.